This is an extract from Girl Made of Gold, written by Gitanjali Kolanat, narrated by Charu Shankar, published by Jagannath Books in May 2020. The statue appeared in the Sanctum Sanctorum, just like that, like magic. In the days and weeks to come, when others told the story, they would start there, as if that was the beginning. Then they'd go backwards and forwards, picking up scattered pieces, but never putting together the whole. Subu hated to listen, and neither would he tell the story himself. He'd never even bring those events to mind in the presence of others, in case the pain of remembering showed on his face. There was a further problem. Even after all this time, he couldn't find the real beginning. When a kutha is about to start, the drummers play rhythms that build, telling the audience that any moment now, the curtain will be pulled away. But there were no drums that day. No signal except a pain like a hammer inside his head. He'd been restless, unable to sleep, impatient for the day to begin. But as the hour for the first puja neared and he heard the sounds of his uncle's early morning ablutions, he knew he couldn't put it off any longer. Gripped by a dread that had no reason, he prepared himself for the day as if it was like any other. The great god, lying in the arms of his consort, must be woken from his dreams at the proper time. This task must be performed, no matter what else troubled him. The first puja to gently nudge the god out of slumber was conducted daily at 5.30 in the morning. Subu had no choice but to behave as usual and proceed with uncle to the temple. Subu's withered leg forced him into an awkward, uneven limp, a condition he'd learned to manage. Uncle, however, never failed to mention the affliction and muttered as he always did, Poor boy, but what can we do? It is karma after all. Subu gritted his teeth and said nothing. Inside him, the suspense built as if indeed there were drums reaching their climax. They entered through the temple's outer gate. Subu's skin prickled. Kanaka wasn't there. Finally, his unease matched with some circumstance in the outside world. Kanaka usually stood ready, bathed, her hair fragrant with jasmine, all the ritual objects arranged, the fresh milk, the flowers for offering just picked, the brass vessels gleaming. Instead, the plate and the pot were as they'd been left the night before, with nothing prepared for the puja. Uncle said, What can have kept her? She's never late. They waited. Uncle impatient, Subu aching with anxiety. Still, the puja must be conducted. Go and rouse her, that lazy girl, still wrapped in sleep. 
Subu could tell from Uncle's voice that his scolding was only for show and covered an undercurrent of worry. He was more used to praising Kanaka for the skill and devotion with which she performed her ritual tasks. She'd never given him any reason to complain about her services until this moment. Uncle well knew, as Subu did, that she had not simply overslept. There must be some other explanation for her absence. Subu didn't protest. At least now he could take some action. Whatever had happened to Kanaka, the logical place to start looking for answers was where she had last been. If Kanaka's absence had an explanation, it would come from her mother, Nagaveni. The Devadasi's house was not in the Agraharam, but on the adjoining street. Though it lay equally close to the temple, Subu would have to walk all the way around to approach it from the front. Those who were prosperous and of the upper castes, but were not Brahmins, had their home on that street. At any other time, Subu would have welcomed an errand that took him into the domain of the Devadasis. In the properly ordered world, with everything in its rightful place, the priests stride with justifiable pride. After all, they know the Vedas. They keep the earth on her course with their rituals. They have power over the fortunes of men. But the women in the Brahmin houses know nothing except how to make a proper rasam. They wear the nine-yard sari wrapped in such a way as to obscure the fact that they have breasts and two legs with something secret between them. In the Devadasi quarter, it is different altogether. The women enhance the curve of their breasts with tight, short blouses and wear the sari tied low to show off their slender waists. They let their eyes wander up and down a man's body as if to say, hmm, you look like a tasty morsel. But this was not the moment to find pleasure in the beauty of women. Subu called out as he entered the gate. Nagavini Amma, I'm here to fetch Kanaka. A bright-eyed Dasi girl unlatched the door and peeked out at him. He mounted the steps and stood on the threshold peering in, taking careful note of who was there and how they responded to the news of Kanaka's absence. The household had not yet fully awoken. He could see Nagaveni in the back room as, sleepy and fat, she pushed herself into a sitting position with great effort. Kanaka? Kanaka? What do you mean? It is time for the Ukshakala Puja. She's at the temple, of course. Oh, where else would she be? No, she's not there. That is why Uncle sent me. Subu's voice faded as he tried to interpret the look that came for a moment into those famous flashing eyes. Was she genuinely surprised to see him standing there? He couldn't be sure. Nagaveni, matriarch of the Devadasi household, was an expert at dissembling. Oh, this makes no sense. 
she said, looking around as if to spy Kanaka in some corner. She rose to her feet. She was fat, yes, but for all that, a majestic presence, shapely and graceful. Her sari was in some disarray from sleep. When she raised her arms to her thick hair, still black and down to her waist, to twist and pull into a knot at her neck, Subu's eyes went of their own volition to her bountiful breasts and lingered for a moment before he dropped his gaze. The Nadaswaram player Dorai came in from the back courtyard with a towel wrapped around his waist, working at his teeth with a neem twig. He looked Nagaveni over with the proprietary interest of a cowherd, judging his prize cow. But her obvious worry wiped the smug satisfaction from his face. Didn't Kanaka come in last night, after making the garlands? We all saw her. Surely she left at the usual time this morning for her ritual bath. See, here is her bedding, rolled up just as it should be. There's no cause for concern. He called upstairs to the Natavanar, who was staying with them while Kanaka prepared for her Arangetram. He was not one for rising early, it seemed. Aya! Hey, Aya! The man who wielded the symbols so adroitly did not answer. Now this was unusual. The old man had been staying with Nagaveni while Kanaka prepared for her Arangetram. His absence certainly required some explanation and this seemed to be the first real clue. Could it be so simple? Kanaka had gone somewhere with her teacher and all was well. Hearing Dorai continue to call, the harmonium player Nagarajan looked down from the landing and replied, Didn't Aya tell you? He and Ganapati had an engagement in Tirunelaveli. The two of them left for the train station yesterday afternoon. You were here all night then? Any sign of Kanaka? What do I know? Last night I lost at cards and drowned my sorrows. I was in no fit state to notice Kanaka's comings and goings. Comings and goings? Comings and goings? What are you suggesting? Nagaveni demanded. The wily musician, knowing well where his livelihood lay, quickly made amends. <laughs> nothing, dear lady, nothing. He came down the stairs, smiling his ingratiating smile showing sharp white teeth and lips red with pan. Kanaka is like my own daughter, isn't she? I only meant that I, myself, having played cards until late, having lost much money and having drunk so much afterwards, would not have known anything, <laughs> even if a whole procession had come and gone. <laughs> Subu could have sworn that his eyes were clear and wary. His statement contained at least two lies, but Subu was in no position to confront him. Ratnavalli, Kanaka's older sister, was nowhere to be seen. This wasn't surprising. She had her own fine house, and she was usually there, showing her gratitude to her patron Valabendran for some trinket he'd given her. 
or using her wiles to wheedle one more out of him. Unless she could gain from Kanaka's absence, she wouldn't have even turned her face away from the mirror or slowed the glide of her comb through her luxuriant black hair. Could Kanaka be with her? There was no love or closeness between the two sisters. But if Kanaka was in trouble, Ratna wouldn't have refused her help, surely. Would she? These were questions Subu needed to ask. But who? And how? He had no standing to make inquiries like that. Nagaveni questioned the other Dasis and the servant girl. But no one knew anything about Kanaka's whereabouts. Then, taken with the sudden thought, Nagaveni said, Where's Durga? Durga's not here either. So she must be with Kanaka. Oh, what a relief. If the two of them are together, oh, then there cannot be anything seriously wrong. Durga was Ratna's daughter by her patron Valabendran. Of course, no one would ever bother to question her, since she couldn't or wouldn't talk. Such a strange child. Passive, except for sudden bouts of trembling. Durga never looked at a person, or spoke, or played with other children. She accepted to be dressed or fed by only Kanaka and Nagaveli. Ratna had given up on her when Durga was quite a small child, and it was Kanaka who'd cared for her like a little wounded animal. These days, if Durga wasn't sitting alone, quiet and with a vacant stare in the corner of the house, she would be found clutching and twisting a bit of Kanaka's davani in one hand, being led by it like a baby elephant twisting its trunk around its mother's tail. Anyone knew where Kanaka was, it would be Durga, even if she was unable to say. All the worry seemed to drain from Nagaveni's face at the realization that Kanaka and Durga must be together. And she said, Hmm, I'll come and do the puja today. I am the Devadasi of this temple, after all. Now they all followed Subu back to the temple. The sun had not yet risen. A rooster crowed in the distance. Worshippers stood waiting in the still dark before dawn, clutching petal leaves and banana. The lantern, swaying slightly in the morning breeze through distorted moving shadows. It seemed as if the carved Dwarapalakis, their faces stern and forbidding, their many arms brandishing weapons, were advancing and retreating, advancing and retreating. Uncle saw the crowd coming, but without Kanaka. <sighs> he turned and led them to the main shrine, proceeding directly to the womb of the temple, the chamber filled with darkness. They all followed him, because at that moment, it seemed as if it was the puja that was most important, that Kanaka's non-appearance had some simple explanation. She would come running now, any minute, and take her place. 
Subu wanted to shout. Let's not waste time. We must look for Kanaka before it is too late. Why was he so troubled by an absence that seemed to bother no one else? He had no answer to his own question, so he kept his mouth shut and held the lantern up so all could see their way through the dark passage. When they reached the sanctum, Subu put down the lantern and unlatched and pushed open the two sides of the door. As he folded the second side back to fully reveal the lingam supported and contained by the yoni, the emblem of the great god. Something behind the door clattered, but no one else seemed to notice. Subu said nothing. Uncle recited the proper Sanskrit verses, then tried to light the large brass lamp in front of the lingam. Finally, Nagaveni came forward, took the matchbox from his hand and struck the match so it flared. She cupped it and lit the four wicks one after the other. A devotee reached up and struck the bell. Uncle then bent and held the camphor to the lamp's flame for the arati with the pot lamp, the Devadasi's ritual task. Nagaveni accepted it from him and stood ready in front of the lingam. As she began the circle, the burning camphor illuminated a little statue at the god's base. Nagaveni cut short the upward curve of her movement and stood transfixed. The circle of devotees gasped, <gasps> reflecting the flickering flame. It shone like gold against the black mass of the great god. Just as the camphor finished burning, the lamp also went out. Later, as the story was told and retold, it became a breeze like a sigh, a soft breath scented with clove that blew out the flame, leaving the sanctum filled once more with darkness. As the lamp was relit, all eyes fixed on the little golden statue standing on the pedestal of the lingam. <gasps> Nagavini cried out. Dorai leaned in to get a better look and the harmonium player threw up his hands in a theatrical gesture of wonder. Uncle whispered, Shampo, Shampo. The other devotees repeated, Shampo, Shampo, Shampo. It echoed in the dark chamber of the Sanctum Sanctorum where the one lamp flickered. The statue, a hand's height, was of a slim girl, small round breasts and slender waist standing with a graceful bend at the hip, feet together, hands in Pushpanjali, as if offering jasmine flowers. Kanaka was not where she should be, and instead, this statue had appeared, like a sign, an omen. Someone said, Kanaka! And Nagaveni repeated, Kanaka! Subu could not be sure if her response was genuine or misdirection. 
it is the very image of Kanaka, the priest said. He was the only one who had the right to enter the sanctum, so he lifted it up and brought it out, examining it carefully. All crowded around to get a better look. The statue seen up close was very fine, with every detail. Eyebrows, eyelids, nostrils, full lips and small chin, delicately modelled. It was a lamp, meant to hold oil and wick in the cupped hands. <sighs> she will continue to dispel the darkness, just as Kanaka did when she performed the Aarti. Look how her plait is made, with four strands instead of three. Nagaveni, so proud of Kanaka's thick hair, had been in the habit of dividing the hair into four parts to make the special braid called belt braid for the way it hung so straight and flat. This kind of braid was more difficult and time-consuming to do, but Nagaveni insisted on it for Kanaka. The golden statue's braid was just the same. No one knew, or admitted to knowing, how the statue came to be in the Sanctum Sanctorum. All considered it to be a miracle, a statue of Kanaka, appearing in place of the real girl. Even Nagaveni seemed to accept that nothing further needed to be done. The statue explained Kanaka's disappearance. If she had any reservations about the miracle, she was keeping them to herself. Subu wanted to shout, No, it is nothing more than a statue. We must go and look for Kanaka. We must find her. But he said not a word. Nagaveni had performed the ritual service at the temple until Kanaka had taken over. So now she accompanied uncle to complete the ritual worship of the gods and goddesses in the other shrines. Those who had been present at the puja left quickly, eager to gossip about what they had witnessed. Subu returned to the sanctum to check what had fallen when he'd pushed open the door. It was a brass lamp, a small one, usually kept in the niche at the main entranceway. Subu could think of no reason why it should have been placed behind the door to the sanctum. It told him nothing except that someone, a human being who needed light, had been in there between the time of the last puja the previous evening and this morning's puja. Had this person placed the statue where it had just been found? Why? And who would dare to enter the sanctum? Uncle, of course, but he seemed incapable of such pretense. Another Brahmin priest? But this small temple only employed the one, uncle. Would anyone else risk the wrath of the deity to enter that sacred space? He held the small ordinary brass lamp in his hands, looking down at his feet to where the oil had spilled when the opening door had knocked it over, and picking out of the pool of oil the wick, burnt almost to the end, in fact, it may have been still burning and been put out only when it fell over. Carrying the lamp with him to return it to its proper place, he bowed out of the sanctum 
and pulled shut and latched the door. As he turned, he glimpsed small feet showing from behind a pillar. It was Durga, sitting as she often did, staring without expression at a point on the floor in front of her. Where had she come from so suddenly? Had she been there all along and no one had seen her? She gave no indication that she noticed his presence. It wasn't that Durga was mute, for once in a while, without any training, and only when she chose to do so, she sang fragments of the songs she heard her mother and grandmother sing. No one had ever managed to get her to talk, but she had the capacity. She could, Subhu thought, be made to talk, somehow. He shook her hard, and she dropped what she'd been clutching tight in her fist. He picked it up. It was a thin strip of cloth, torn from a davani. He said fiercely, Tell me where Kanaka is! Tell me! But she seemed not to feel Subhu's grip on her shoulder. So finally he gave up and left her, sitting as still as if she was carved in stone. Nagaveni would have to find a way to deal with her, now that Kanaka was absent. When the ritual worship at all the shrines was completed and Nagaveni had taken the brass vessels and lamps for cleaning, Subhu and the old priest returned to their house in the Brahman quarter. Subhu finally spoke up. How can a girl turn into a statue? We should search for Kanaka. If you accept it, something that can never happen, others will do nothing. Chi? It is a great day for our temple, Subhu. Keep your mouth shut, as if you know everything. Flesh can't turn into metal, uncle. Kanaka could be hurt, or sick, or lost somewhere. Somewhere? Where would Kanaka go, Subhu? This village is not so big. Let me tell you, such miracles have happened many times. Ahilya turned into a rock and back into a woman again at Rama's touch. In stories, uncle, this is real life. Yes, yes, it is true. Such things were more common in the past. In the Kalyug, we are not destined to witness such miracles often. But in my own lifetime, this is not the first time such a thing has happened. Hmm. There was Ramalinga Swami from my district. Such a holy man who saw God as pure light. In front of all his disciples, he entered his room, a small room, with no other means of going in or out, saying, I will not be visible to your eyes for a certain period. The disciples lay down and slept right there in front of the door. The next day, he didn't come out, nor the next day, nor the next. Finally, the disciples, fearing that he was ill or hurt, broke open the door. There was no one there, nothing, except in the darkness, a light like a thousand glowworms. This happened near our native place in Vadalur when I was eight years old and your mother was yet to be born. Even the British collector and the Tasildar came to investigate his disappearance. The event sparked a wave of devotion across the countryside. 
everywhere they sang his songs. The Lord, who is the dancer, dances in the public hall and he doesn't know his caste or his country. This is just like that. It's not. Kanaka was no saint. She was just an ordinary girl. You yourself called her a goose only yesterday at the puja in the temple when she was so slow to do her steps and stood there daydreaming. That was my mistake. Now I recognize her greatness. If the statue is supposed to be Kanaka, our Kanaka, then how does it come to have such huge jimikis hanging from her ears like Kanaka never wore? Did she pray? Dear God, I can't bear this life, turn me into a statue and also give me some jimikis. Subhu, now you tell me something, since you have all the answers. How did the statue get into the sanctum? You and I are the only ones allowed inside the womb house. No one else would dare risk polluting the great God this way. Poor girl. She had no choice but to beg the God for mercy. Even in the dancing girl caste, I can't believe such things go on. Through this miracle, Kanaka has been saved from a fate worse than death. Subhu's mother, Brahadambal, who had been preparing the idlis for breakfast in the kitchen while listening to their argument, came with the brass plates and placed them on the floor. The story of the golden statue had reached her ears even before her son and brother had returned home. Now she chimed in. Everyone is so quick to condemn Vallabhindran, as if he is not a noble man. We shouldn't talk like that. We live under his patronage and we have often experienced his generous nature. First of all, who knows whether he actually sent the Tambolam for Kanaka? I say if he hasn't done so, maybe he never will. So why start condemning him? And even if he did make an offer for Kanaka's first night, would he ever have made such a move unless he knew something outside the common knowledge? After all, he is the one best positioned to know the intimate relations within the Devadasi household. Uncle sat down in front of his plate, saying, But the girl called him Appa. So how would she feel? Innocent as she was, she had the power of her chastity. When she appealed to the god, he protected her. Kanaka is a Devadasi. How can she have the power that comes from chastity? I say no. Only the faithful wife has karp like that. Anyway, what need of God with Nagaveni for a mother? <laughs> As if she would have allowed such a thing to go on if Kanaka was really Vallabhindran's child. She has her own way of handling things. Maybe this is her doing. Just like Nagaveni, to get Kanaka out of Vallabhindran's way with a ruse that enhances her own standing in the world. And now, Subhu, come and eat the idlis before they get cold. Uncle retorted. But where did Nagaveni get a gold statue in Kanaka's image? Such a beautiful and precious thing, not to be picked up anywhere. You haven't seen it yet. Its beauty proclaims its divinity. Subhu protested. How can we argue like this over a statue? I can't just sit here and eat when Kanaka is missing. The statue 
is not Kanaka. Everyone has gone mad to say it looks like her. It looks nothing like her. We need to search for her right now. Search for her? <laughs> you may search for her, but you won't find her. She's gone where no human being can follow. I must ask Valavindran for the funds to build a shrine for the statue. I'm sure that as the news of this miracle spreads, pilgrims will come from far and wide to worship here and invoke her blessings. Our deity will take the name He with the Golden Attendant. Hmm. I must add her story to the Stalapurna of the temple. Uncle was impervious to every argument and his mother was no help at all. Though she'd earlier expressed her own cynical view, faced now with her brother's judgment on the subject, she deferred to him. Resolutely orthodox, she believed whatever the male of the household said. Any matter not to do with the kitchen was not to be questioned. She could see how much pain in action was causing Subu, but she wouldn't go against the prevailing wisdom expounded by her elder brother. Now she harangued Subu in a soft but insistent tone. Subu shook his head in despair, wishing as he had so many times before that his father hadn't gone off and abandoned him to people who couldn't be bothered to think. This is an extract from Girl Made of Gold, written by Gitanjali Kolanat, narrated by Charu Shankar, published by Juggernaut Books in May 2020.